the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. However extraordinary the current rates in container shipping are right now, and let's be clear, they are quite extraordinary, all things will pass. The current squeeze on ship capacity will not continue forever. The multi-billion dollar question is, what happens next? With so much money sloshing around, the standard, somewhat cynical view would be that the lines are going to perform their party piece of shooting themselves in the foot by over-ordering, while the cargo bulge will end once everybody starts spending on holidays again. Let's not forget that despite the current supply chain chaos, volumes are only about 2% up on 2019 levels, so there's not much underlying growth here. However, not everybody agrees with this view, and our guest today believes that container lines are in an unparalleled position to permanently end the boom-bust cycles that have destroyed so much shareholder value over the recent years, and create an industry able to make decent money in bad times as well as good. I know, crazy. Otto Schatz is the Executive Vice President of Sea Logistics at Kuna and Nagel and having had a front-row seat in all major market moves over the past 40 years, he's concluded that the box trades are not going to return to the way they were prior to the pandemic. For anyone who's listening who's not aware of Mr Schatz's position within the industry, uh, this is not the musings of some crackpot theorist. Otto is one of the most seasoned executives in the industry, and hugely respected by all sides. So the fact that he has never seen a situation like this and believes that we're not going back to how things were, is, I would argue, a pretty good reason to sit through what is a slightly longer edition of the podcast than usual. I'm joined this week by Lloyd's List's reigning queen of containers, and the chair of the editorial board of Lloyd's List, Janet Porter, who you're going to hear pop up once in a while with a few questions of her own as we talk to Otto. This is an edited version of the full conversation, and I would heartily recommend a visit to loyslist.com to check out the story on Otto's views, along with our half-yearly outlook, which crucially contains our views on what's happening next in the box market, along with all the other key shipping sectors. I'm biased, of course, but uh, I would suggest this year's outlook is required reading for pretty much anyone involved in the business of shipping, really. Well... Welcome to the podcast, Otto. Thank you for joining us today. Richard, uh, thanks for having this uh, discussion with you, this interview. Uh, looking forward to this. Yeah. This is, um, this is a pretty interesting point to be talking to you because, to my mind, this is one of the most extraordinary periods of container shipping market history that certainly I've seen in the recent past. And I think, Janet, probably you're thinking much the same. I thought perhaps we could start simply by asking you for your view on what's happening in the container market right now and what happens next. I, I realise some, you know, forecast in situations like this is pretty much a fool's errand, but uh, these are pretty unusual times and the new normal that follows is, is certainly not clear to me. This question you just asked is probably the most difficult one and we are being asked, everybody is being asked every day, uh, how long would this last? Why is this? And uh, when do we get back to a more normal situation? Uh, if you would have asked me this question three months ago, I probably would have given you a different answer than today and six months ago and 12 months ago. So it's it's something 
new and I'm in this business now since over 40 years and what we are going uh, through right now, what we're experiencing as an industry, whether in the forwarding industry, whether you are a shipper or whether you're actually a carrier, uh, we, we uh, nobody has ever seen before. Uh, it's like uh, the famous black swan theory. Uh, there are no black swans and all of a sudden there is a black swan. And uh, I think one thing we uh, realize things will not be as they were in the past, uh, like in pre-COVID times. Uh, mm. I think this is one of the things we have to realize more. How long and what's the new norm? That's the difficult thing, uh, the difficult uh, uh, thing to forecast, uh, but things will also in future be different. That's for sure. So you're not predicting this to be a short-term bottleneck that will ease itself out and then we turn back to normal. You, you think there is a fundamental shift in the market that we're looking at here? Yeah, there, there, is, there is a fundamental shift in the market and uh, we'll, we'll come to that in a second. Things will become more normal uh, when we now talk ever given Swiss Canal, Yantian, COVID, South China. These things will eventually, the after effects, the aftershocks will disappear. In the yeah. next, the question is, will it be in three months, in six months, in nine months? So things will normalize again. But uh, I think one thing we, we all have to realize, and shippers have to realize, people who move goods around the world, uh, the carrier's consolidation, uh, which took part in the last 20 years. Today, we have six, seven, eight big carriers left. So the, the industry has consolidated. We, we have a growing world population. Uh, we have a port infrastructure issue. And these things have changed uh, fundamentally. And uh, the problems which we're seeing there will not go away that easily. Mm. Let's, before we sort of get to in the weeds of, of those specific points let's let's talk about the the divisions in the industry because when we talk to the carriers they view this as something of an anomaly if you look historically speaking they have not been experiencing rates like this for well forever really um and the accusations from the shipper community that somehow the carriers are profiteering uh, it looks a little bit anomalous in, in in a historical context and yet you can understand the frustrations from the shipper community when they see the rates scaling to the point that they are now. Do you, I mean, it's it's difficult to reduce it to a, a blame game, but I mean, do you, do you think there is a, an issue here? The question we raised was, you know, are carriers profiting or profiteering? Where, where do you see the balance at the moment? I mean, in the end, if there is uh, in the market, uh, more than uh, more demand than supply, somebody is always profiting from it. So uh, definitely the carriers, and we can see it in their results, uh, which they have announced in the first quarter, uh, they are profiting from this situation, but which is a very normal situation in business. There's always in such a situation, somebody profiting from it. But it should not be blamed because uh, uh, that's where I, uh, towards customers, I'm talking personally to a lot of customers uh, in the last couple of months. 
I always defend the carriers in this respect. The carriers have done and are doing whatever they can do in providing enough capacity. There's hardly any more charter vessels available. They have chartered whatever is available in the market. They are buying containers. There was this famous equipment shortage and partially still is. So they are buying enough new equipment, but there are things which they cannot influence. And now we are at a situation that there is more demand for uh, space for, uh, for for equipment for vessels than there is supply and then something very automatic in business starts then prices go up and it's actually more the shippers and slash the forwarders who are driving up the freights because if you have four four containers for four bookings you only have three slots then automatically uh, people are bidding bidding up rates because uh, people are yelling like on a on a market uh, uh, like in the Lloyd's market 400 years ago in London they are saying I increase uh, my price uh, please uh, give me the space and that's I think carriers are surprised partially uh, because customers are saying my freight has to move my freight has to move and offering more money than the neighbor and then automatically that increases rates so it's in the end, the carriers are uh, profiting from it, but at the same time, uh, the customers can be happy because otherwise, if carriers would not provide this capacity, global trade would not be possible. Mm. Well, quite. And in terms of what happens next, uh, you know, obviously we can look at increasing the, the number of vessels. That's not a quick fix by any stretch. You've spoken publicly about shippers better increasing uh, their sort of inventories and the fact that supply chains are too tight in the current climates and you know just in time just to, doesn't work in these times what what do you think the solution is here do we need to look at the resilience of supply chains and, and you know what does that mean uh, are we talking about extra capacity are we talking about uh, changing the way we uh, you know build in uh, supply and demand to these supply chains what what do you think needs to happen what are the lessons we can learn here i mean from a, from a shipper's point of view well actually from from both sides both the shippers the importers exporters in the world but also the carriers what we are seeing today the uh, very low inventories uh, in all over the world and we can feel it every day a lot of products are not available. Uh, if you want to buy a bicycle, if you want to get lumber, if you want to get chips, there's a shortage of a lot of products globally. I think we were, the whole industry was surprised by this. So now people are trying to increase their inventories. Um, and this learning for the whole industry means that carriers have to supply in future more capacity. And we, we have to understand one thing, carriers increased capacity, if we go back 20 years ago, enormously. And then there were years when there was too much capacity, then that was the time when freight rates dropped to the bottom and carriers lost a lot of money or even went bankrupt. Uh, then we had again a surge uh, of volumes for a short while, vessels were full. So carriers of course started to balance this out because they only could absorb so many losses per year uh, over a period. The return on investment was so bad in this industry. Now we are at a point that all of a sudden these volumes short term 
very much US driven, but also in Europe, uh, in Africa, in South America, uh, are going through the roof. And uh, we, we don't have enough capacity. So now, what are people doing? Carriers are ordering additional capacity, something very normal again. I think Hapagloid ordered again today another six vessels. Uh, MSC has ordered a lot of vessels. The French have ordered vessels, the Chinese. So in 2023, there will be more capacity coming. Then there will be supply demand will be more balanced. Uh, but shippers, and I think this was from a shipper point of view, the inventories, this whole subject of just in time, uh, it was so tightly planned that now the supply chain is not any more resilient. And if you then have only a 5% increase in consumer demand, all of a sudden the whole supply chain gets disrupted. Also, if I could follow up on a couple of things, you mentioned at the beginning consolidation. Do you think in with the benefit of hindsight, do you think consolidation has been good for the industry or bad? I mean, what sort of benefits and what, what has been the downside of all this the consolidation of fewer lines? I think the, the consolidation which took place in this industry, and I said this already many years ago, in the end will be good. Because once carriers, and I think we will see this now with the industry is finally getting return on their investment and they will start to invest into this industry. In the past, we had too many years where the industry was not making any money. They were not investing enough. That's why services suffered from it. So we had these enormous ups and downs. And my hope, not only hope, I believe in it. Once this industry becomes more normal, then we will see also a more balanced situation that there will be enough capacity, meaning that carriers do not have to make money only when they run at 95%, 99% utilization. Any other industry, the airline industry, the hotel industry, is happy with an average utilization of 60 to 70, 75%. These industries make money. The liner industry had to make money when vessels were fully booked. So with fewer carriers out there, I think in future we will see a different behavior. Then ocean supply chains will become more resilient. Uh, then there will be always enough capacity even to cater for the these peaks like what we are seeing right now. Uh, and not a situation, the moment there is a peak and then vessels are totally overbooked. Mm? So that is actually good when an industry is consolidated, you have fewer players which all make good money and then they can provide the capacity which the industry needs for the peak times. So this period we're seeing at the moment then could be in the long term for the benefit of everybody, there's a chance for the industry to properly restructure and get, as you say, becoming it like other industries making money at lower utilization levels. So do you see this and what we're going through at the moment as good in the long term? Exactly. I think we are in, in we are in a transition here. We are in a transition phase, and to take the uh, I always take the example of the uh, express parcel uh, people. So where you have three, four big providers in the world, you have uh, FedEx, UPS, DHL, and then two, three uh, smaller players. But these take these three players: DHL, FedEx, UPS. Uh, they are there. They provide uh, global capacities. They move parcels around the world. Uh, um, the whole um, e-business, uh, they are profiting on this. 
but you hardly hear that there is a shortage of capacity because somehow this industry always made money and uh, there is apparently the supply demand is working far better, although you only have three providers. Nobody complains about that industry. And I think hopefully the liner shipping industry will also get to that point. There has always been this tension between carriers and their customers going back many years. And now, as Richard said, we're hearing all sorts of complaints about shippers feeling they're being um, ripped off. But and, and possibly bringing in regulators and, you know, antitrust investigations. So from your perspective, do you think that's a really unfair accusation? As you said earlier, do you think they, the carriers have actually done their best or are there areas where they could have done better during this period? No, I think in the last 12 months, they have done whatever they could do. Uh, you can see it very simple in the, if you look into the charter market, because we all know that carriers uh, uh, own only a portion of uh, the vessel themselves and the uh, remainder is being chartered in. Today, there is no more charter uh, vessel basically available. We see it in the charter rates. Uh, carriers are paying top dollars for, for the few remaining vessels available. Uh, when we talk pre-COVID times, the 5,000 Q vessel was going for, for eight, nine, 10, 12,000 dollars a day. Now, the last closures were above $100,000 per day. So it shows you that carriers are investing and trying to fill the, the, the gaps in the market. So no, we, I, I do not think that one can accuse the carriers, uh, especially when it comes to this uh, antitrust behavior, because okay, they were in the, 20 years ago, we had the conference system, but it was a totally different period. In that respect, uh, it's for me a pure, uh, supply and demand thing. And we, if we look at the other industry, the copper price is up three, four times. The coffee prices are going through the roof. A lot of commodity prices. Uh, we see the same increases there and nobody talks about collusion there either. It's a pure supply. These extremely high rates, which we are seeing right now, and I will talk to these rates levels of 20, 25, $30,000, which are being partially paid. That of course will not be the future those rate levels will come down again. The only question is, when is this? Will this be in three months and six months and nine months? We don't know uh, the, the spot market, but eventually these rates will be lower. And I'm always telling larger customers in the world, if in the past you paid $1,000 to $2,000 at 40 foot on the main lanes, in future you will probably pay between two, three thousand and four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000. So yes, it will be more than double, but still, less than in these extreme cases what we are seeing today. So these low freight rates, which we have seen in the last 20 years, we will probably, most probably not see again. And I think, you know, we'll come on to the, the question of sustainability and whether or not the uh, general public is, is willing to pay through the nose for increased efficiency, because I think that is part of that psychological shift. But just before we move on to that, do you not think that in that equation that you've just set out, that rebalancing of supply and demand, there is a danger that we simply repeat the same mistakes that we have historically made as an industry? We've already seen the orders coming through thick and fast. All it is going to take is a minor miscalculation in terms of the speed at which we get back to something resembling normal and too many ships being ordered at the same point. And we're going to go back into another cycle shortly. 
I, I think by, by 2023, when there is uh, additional vessels coming, first of all, these additional vessels uh, will replace all the tonnage. So we have to see how much of the, the net increase of capacity will be by 2023. So we, we, and as long as global trade continues to grow, as long as shippers will increase their inventories, uh, will there be uh, a overcapacity? Uh, in the past, we talked in this industry of an overcapacity. The moment vessels were, uh, the yet vessel utilization was dropping from 98, 95% to 90%. And I believe carriers are now smart enough not to let rates fall to these levels, which we have seen in the last 20 years, when utilization during certain periods of the time is perhaps 85%. That is, of course, part of this carrier uh, consolidation, which we have seen. The, the, uh, when a FedEx or UPS, uh, when, when a plane is not full, they will not let the rates for parcels drop overnight, like what the liner industry has, until done, has done until uh, three years ago. And uh, that's why, yes, rates will come down. That's very natural, but they will not come down to these crazy low rate levels, which we have seen in pre-COVID times, or that has, it's actually not pre-COVID times, in the times when we still had 20, 25 carriers out there uh, fighting for market share. Let's talk, if you don't mind, uh, briefly about the issue of paying a premium for efficiency and sustainability. Uh, KNN has got a wonderful platform where your users can choose their routes by speed, efficiency, uh, CO2 output, and, and various other factors. Do you see a proactive choice being made towards paying for efficiency and reduced CO2 emissions? Uh, are we not there yet? Do you think it's going to come? And do you think ultimately that we are going to be prepared as a society to pay more for a more efficient transport that factors in the price of carbon? Um, I, I think we, uh, of course, the, 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 right now the timing is bad because at this moment, the last couple of months, weeks actually, the focus is much more, please move my product, otherwise I don't have enough sure. product in the shelf and uh, I lose business. So uh, unfortunately, uh, people are now not looking at the uh, lowest CO2 emission per transport, but the cargo has to move. But this is a very short-term situation. In our discussions with customers, we find that the people who are responsible for sustainability in companies are becoming much more active and starting to take influence on, on supply chains. Uh, in this respect, uh, midterm, and uh, we, we are seeing this, uh, we, we are discussing with a lot of people on this midterm, people are number one, prepared to pay extra for this because uh, non-carbon fuels in the beginning, meaning till they are there, till they, are being can, till they can be produced in a large scale manner will be more expensive. And when we talk more expensive, we talk, and that's the good news actually, we don't talk about thousands of dollars per container more, we talk perhaps hundreds of dollars more per container. If you take biofuel, biofuel today, depending on the trade lane you look at, you pay between $300 and $600 per TU more to move 
with uh, second-grade biofuel, your cargo around the world. If we now talk about freight rates nowadays of five, six, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars, and you have to pay an additional of four, five, six, seven hundred dollars, so which is ten percent, that will not move the needle in regards to is this too expensive? Can I still sell my product in the shelf? And there are the first companies now looking into it and I saying, hmm, the consumer, the pressure from the consumer is there. I have to move with, uh, my cargo at with non-carbon fuels, CO2, uh, with yeah, net zero carbon. And I think this will take off in the next two years tremendously uh, because the pressure from the consumer, European Commission, uh, um, present um, president in the US will increase the pressure tremendously in this respect. So may I just ask you um, about your relationship or relationship with forwarders and carriers? We now have the carriers wanting to do the entire supply chain with Maersk, um, CMACGM and presumably all the others. How, how are you handling this change with, you know, you've the carriers are both your customer and your competitor. How are you managing that relationship? I mean, when you say that the carriers want to manage their uh, business or getting into our uh, segment of the business, managing supply chains from A to Z, it's actually not new. Uh, if we look at Maersk uh, and uh, formerly APL, Maersk Logistics uh, was there already in the 70s, 80s, was at that time called Bias Consolidation. Uh, we had APL Logistics. So the carriers were always uh, in this segment, few carriers. So today, actually, there are two carriers out there, which is Maersk and, and CMA, which bought Seaburn. The remaining carriers are not really active in this field. Yes, they offer door-to-door -door transportation, but they have always done this door-to-door, -door, also pre-carriage and on-carriage, also really nothing new. So for us, and Mr. Kuhn is always asking me the same question, and I always tell him, we just have to be better. We just have to be better and manage, uh, uh, come up with better solutions. And we are... Uh, very often we are a partner of the carriers and sometimes we are a competitor of the carrier and then the better one wins. So actually situation in my view has hardly changed in the last 20 years in this respect. Um, so they were always the one, like I said, OOC, OOCL logistics was there. Uh, they also, OCL had this already since 20 years ago. Huh? Uh, Mitsui logistics had it there. Uh, so not really knew what we are seeing out there. No, I do remember all those efforts and it was always um, door to door, wasn't it? For That was the mantra for many years. And then it seemed to become port to port. So you feel that, I mean, Maersk in particular has, you know, you have always had a very close relationship with Maersk. Is that is that as, uh, as good a relationship as ever or are there tensions and, and problems in certain areas? No, the, the, we, we have with, with all the carriers, because of our large volume, we are for most carriers, we are their largest customer. And I would say we are not a customer of theirs. We are more a partner, an extended arm for them. And uh, so whether it's for MERS, for, for the CMA, uh, Apagloid, MSC, or the Asian carriers, no, the situation, it, it's, we, we, it, there's sometimes it's tense, sometimes it's not tense, but overall we have with all carriers, a very good relationship because we need them and they need us. 
and uh, we respect each other and uh, uh, and even if you take uh, Musk, of course uh, has and the last with their strategy uh, trying to offer something from door to door including contract logistics including lcl but most it's not really new most logistics offered the same thing already 20 years ago and yes. we always survive next to each other very well the market is so big that's why i'm not afraid of this the, the one thing i wanted to uh, ask you because we are focused at lois list very much on the on the, the the ocean aspects of it and and generally speaking at a very specific top end of the of the carriers but we don't get too much exposure into the rest of the the supply chain can you give us an idea of you know how the ocean uh, customer service and reliability factors stack up against other elements of the supply chain and, and whether you can offer the shipping audience any insights in terms of where where shipping really does need to up its game and improve i think the, the key issue which we have seen also in, in the recent disruptions which started in these COVID times that a lot of shippers, and we were actually surprised, a lot of even Fortune 500 companies did not have enough visibility into their supply chain. There was not enough quality, data quality available. No? Mm. A lot of people were missing uh, this kind of information. So it's it's... And that has actually compared to 20, and I'll go back 20 years ago, it was 20 years ago, a big issue. And still today, you go onto websites of carriers, uh, we look at the data which we are getting from carriers, a lot of schedules are not up to date. Uh, you, you, you move 100 containers and on 10 containers, the status is missing. Uh, that's why we as an, uh, that's why the folder uh, sits between the customer uh, and the carrier because he's managing all these problems all day long. So I think uh, when it comes to better information, better data, that's one area we and together with carriers will focus on in future. Mm -hmm. uh, because this is, in the end, uh, what will help uh, shippers to make better decisions and manage their inventory, their supply chain uh, more professionally. Do you think that is specifically a, a data issue? We've heard a lot about the lack of standardization still and a sort of uh, quite a reluctance, I guess, in certain quarters of the industry to, to digitalize and have that standard flow that is going to help uh, shipping integrate within the supply chain. Or do you think it's a, a, a psychological shift and, and we need to improve our approach to transparency generally in the industry? No, I think so. Yes, you're right. That, that, we, that will come. And I think uh, carriers now, when they, as they start to make, uh, let's say, money, more money, they probably will invest more into this, which is, again, good news for all of us, also mm. good for the shippers, especially. Uh, they will focus more on this. In the past, when carriers were uh, out of four years, they lost, in three years, they lost money. The key focus is of making sure that the vessels were running, that, the, uh, that there was equipment, and that was basically on, on the pure port, port operation and partially also inlands, of course. Now they look beyond and that's what we discussed with them. We need better data because when we have better data, then we can also provide towards customers a better service. So I think the focus will shift more into this now in the coming years. 
the the issue of vessel size i mean you've talked about the need to have such high levels of utilization to make these vessels work i mean do you think the the, the current size of the vessel is part of that issue or do you think that is just the way in which the business models are set up and actually the size is irrelevant if you've got a a reasonable level of capacity and you just need to be able to monetize it at the right rate i mean okay we we have we are now we have reached let's say the, the largest vessels have are now in this 23 24000 top uh, mm. league uh, 400 meters long so wide uh, so high stacked uh, i believe we have reached the limit and the pressure to build larger vessels because why did carriers invest into larger vessels they invested into larger vessels to get the cost per tier down as their market was so competitive. So when the market is less competitive, probably uh, the pressure now to go from 24,000 to let's say 30,000 tier vessels uh, will be automatically reduced. And even 24, even 24,000 tier vessels, you can basically only run between Asia and Europe. Uh, and of course, we see now 14,000 tier vessels going into the Latin trades uh, and into the East Coast. What I hear, what you can read, I think we have reached the limit on, on the size of the vessels. But that people now complain and say, ah, it's this, these big vessels are the problem. Uh, if, if the Suez situation, this could have happened also to the ever, ever given was a, what was a 21, 22,000 TU vessel, could have also happened to a 9,000 TU vessel. Yes, it would probably not have been, but this can happen to, to, to all kinds of uh, vessel sizes. And so I would not blame this alone on the, on the size of the vessel. If it, there are tankers going through the Suez Canal. So if a tanker would have been stuck, we would have had the same problem. So I, I wouldn't blame this. And let's face it, if you have smaller vessels, you need more vessels. And if you need more vessels, uh, then we would have perhaps an uh, issue in ports again. Huh? So there is definitely uh, uh, economies of scale with, with these uh, very large vessels in, in those certain trades. So people are benefiting from this. But I think we probably have reached a limit now. Well, that seems like a reasonable place to leave it for the moment. Uh, in some ways, I, I, I hope you're right. Um, once the industry is through the current unprecedented period, I think if we can see a more balanced situation emerge with good enough capacity to cope with peak demand, but more disciplined behavior that's going to see rate levels sustained even during the slack periods, that is going to be good. Not just good for the lines, but also for innovation and investment in efficiency and, of course, more resilient supply chains that we desperately need. Anyway, we will see. Uh, for now, um, Otto Schatt from Kuhn and Nagel, uh, thank you very much for joining the Lois List podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank Talk you. Soon. Bye. Thanks, bye.